guys, what's going on? You are listening to These Warriors Are Terrible. And, well, I'm one of your many hosts on this wonderful podcast. I'm Mike the Birdman Dodd. And, well, guys, one of the things I love to do, being a journalist in the media and more recently getting involved with uh, pen and paper RPG stuff, is I get a chance to talk to some really interesting people. Now, this is a guy we've talked to before relating to Street Fighter stuff. We last talked to him at Fan Expo a couple of years ago uh, here in Toronto, Ontario. But I recently found out this guy's doing something with one of my favorite new RPG properties of all time, and that is Pathfinder. We're talking to Jim Zubkovich, and he is the lead writer on the Pathfinder comic book series, which is being produced in conjunction with Paizo Publishing and Dynamite Publishing. And these guys do a bunch of really cool uh, licensed stuff, uh, including the Lone Ranger, the Green Hornet. And when I heard they were doing a comic book about Pathfinder... I'm like, well, I don't know a whole lot about the actual canon of the world, so maybe this is a really cool kind of gateway for me to get into it. Plus, you've seen the same characters drawn in artwork many times before, and I don't really know their story. So this is my introduction to this, and I guess without any further ado, let's welcome Jim to the show. Hey, how's it going? I am doing tremendously well. Actually, literally just finished uh, Dark Waters Rising, which is the hardcover collection of the book that that, uh, you wrote, the first six issues. uh, That's right. Collected. And I got to ask you, Jim, how did you get involved in working for Paizo and Pathfinder, considering your work uh, previously with Street Fighter and um, Skull Kickers? Well, uh, it's kind of interesting. As part of the Udon studio, we were doing quite a bit of artwork for different RPG books. Um, So when I started with the company in 2003, uh, Udon was already contributing artwork to like the Exalted RPG for uh, White Wolf, and they were doing some artwork for Dungeon Magazine, which at the time was being published by Paizo. And so that's how I got to know uh, Eric Mona, who's the, the head publisher at Paizo, and he was at the time the editor of Dungeon and uh, Dragon magazines that were being they were licensed from Wizards of the Coast, so we sort of uh, broke bread over you know our mutual love of, of tabletop. I mean, he's obviously a huge he's a huge person in the industry now, but he he's obviously a huge fan who grew up on that stuff. So we had lots to chat about when I met him in person, and uh, so over the years, you know, I would go on to work on Street Fighter stuff for Udon, or I would work on other role playing games sort of artwork projects. And then when I kind of broke off on my own and started to do my own comic in 2010, uh, a fantasy comedy title called Skull Kickers, I gave Eric a copy and he really liked it. He thought it was a lot of fun and ridiculous and that, you know, obviously I had a huge amount of, of love for, you know, gaming and for, for the fantasy genre. So it was two years ago at uh, Gen Con, the big um, fantasy gaming show. I was there and I was talking to him. And he was saying how much he liked Skull Kickers. And I said, well, you know, you guys, uh, you should really do a comic of Pathfinder down the road. And he says, actually, you know, we're kind of talking to some different companies about it. And I just said flat out at the moment, I said, well, if that happens, make sure you give me a call. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, are you serious? And he was like really intense. And I said, yes. And lo and behold, about six or seven months later, he contacted me and said, you were serious, right? Because... Because I'm serious and I want you to put in a pitch for it. So I put in a, a pitch of how I would do the comic. You know, they wanted to use the, the iconic characters. So if your um, listeners aren't aware. So Pathfinder's got these sort of one key character for each major character class in the game. 
and they're called the iconics. And they're so whenever there's a, a piece of artwork in the book that has a fighter, they don't just have any fighter. They have this fighter called Valeros. Or if they, you know, if there's something with a rogue, it's this particular elvish rogue named Mauricio and stuff like that. And as you mentioned in your intro, they're used in all the products. And so for the last well, over five years now, they've been on the cover of pretty much every Pathfinder book or in every single um, source book, but they've never done anything about their pasts or about their particular stories. And so they wanted to use the comic as sort of the, the springboard for that. And so they asked me how I would use the Iconics and, and how the group would interact. And, and it was great to be able to dig in on some classic source and, sword and sorcery and also to... Um, you know, kind of dig into my, my tabletop gaming roots and, and uh, deliver a comic that is both comic reader friendly and hopefully, you know, gamer reader friendly as well. Absolutely. I, I mean, one of the cool things that I really liked, and I think this was fleshed out in issue, I think it was five, maybe six, where they have to drink the dark water of the right. god, god whose name I can't pronounce. Lamashtu, um, yeah. And how you sort of, you had like two pages to give their backstory or basically their kind of motivations and their fears. And that's something I really liked about this particular book. Cause you, you didn't have to be steeped in the mythos to get what was going on. If you were, it was that much more rewarding for you. And that's something that I really liked the fact that, and it, it seems like you took a couple of uh, chances with it because some of the characters, for example, uh, I think it's Harfs. I can't, the, the Dwarven Ranger, Right. Is the guy who dwarves aren't known to be rangers. They're all known to be these huge guys who live underground and are stone cutters, etc. Exactly. And, and then with Kira, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, the cleric and how she's a lesbian. Right. And I thought and that, that was and this really was, cool. Well, what's, what happened was, is I was talking to Paizo and one of their, you know, um, at the, the Paizo uh you know, pub uh, Publishing, they've done a really good job at making their um, their fantasy game very inclusive. So they've got, a, you know, typical sword and sorcery is pretty a whitewash affair. And they basically looked at it and said, look, you know, we've got a fantasy world we're building from scratch. There's absolutely no reason why it has to be kind of traditional Germanic or, or you know, Eastern European. Everyone is, is white. Everyone is kind of Caucasian and, you know, if characters are, are non-white, then they're savages or stuff like that. They basically said, okay, let's make this really robust, inclusive world that reflects our players and that reflects, you know, the diversity of, of, of gamers. And so when we were talking about doing the series, one of the things they asked me was, they said, do you mind, you know, including some of that in the comic? You know, we've had the, we've talked for quite a few years about the fact that some of our uh, characters in the canon are not uh, heterosexual. Are you comfortable writing that? I said, I'm more than happy, you know, to, to write that into the series. And if you guys want to use that as the springboard for character relationships, I think it's really important. I think it's important in terms of diversification. I think it's really important to reflect the types of gamers that are out there and give them characters that, that they can that much more easily, you know, empathize and, and key in with. But not only that, I think it makes for great storytelling. And I wanted to talk about character relationships in the in the book. It's really easy when you're doing a licensed property or a commercial um, comic like this to 
to just want to turn it into sort of an advertisement and to sort of go, okay, we're going to have all the products, you know, shown in the book and we're going to try and get people to buy stuff. And, and I sort of said in my original pitch to them, the best advertisement we can make for Pathfinder is to make a really great character story because really good role-playing games and really great tabletop games with your friends is about making stories and about making memorable characters and about having, you know, memorable experiences. So if we make a, a great fantasy comic about great characters and then you say, this is a game and you can make your own stories, that's the perfect advertisement for tabletop RPGs. And thankfully, they agreed, and that's been sort of our, our working mandate throughout the series. And one of the things I really like, as you said, this thing is more character-driven. To look at this from a, from a role-player's perspective, I like the fact that these, are, these guys are not walking tanks. They're level one right. characters. And one of the things that my current RPG group does from these Warriors Are Terrible is we want to showcase that level one characters can be really badass if they're played smartly. And because right. you, Jim, have that role player's mentality when writing this, they're not fighting epic level gargantuan sized dragons from the hop. They're like literally you've made goblins a threat and they're a relatively like I think they're like six six hit points apiece. Right, right. Well, and this is the thing. I think it's it's really important that, you know, uh, when you're playing a tabletop game, you can get really stat-centric, and you can look at it and go, okay, I roll a die, and there's a goblin dead, and, and move on to the next widget. You know, it, it, if you're not careful, it can be sort of like Final Fantasy One, where it's just like numbers are popping above people's heads, and things vanish. And I, and I didn't want, you know, that's not how actual combat feels. That's not how dramatic storytelling works and if it you know if you're in the middle of combat there's all sorts of innovative ways to represent that in the story and so I always try and think about the environment or I'm trying to think about you know what's at stake for these characters or how can we make this interesting and people have been sort of surprised that even some of the low-level spells you can make really really cool and some of the you know low-level encounters you can make really tense and emotional because if you were in the middle of a fight it would be tense it would be emotional it would be engaging it's not just a matter of saying oh you know, it's first or second level characters, therefore it can't be, you know, it can't be cool or it can't be as intense. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, the fact that you made goblins a threat, giant spiders a threat, and that's something, like I said, you just, you don't see a lot of, uh, at least in my experience, I've been through a number of role-playing campaigns where you said it becomes a stat game where everybody says, okay, we're going to start you at level five. But right. part of the fun is getting to that level, knowing you have to be smart. And in fact, a friend of mine has said, for example, Jim, I, I'm presuming you've played old school um, AD&D, right? Oh, I've, I've been playing tabletop games since I was eight or nine years old. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty hardcore. So, you know, if you played a wizard in, in first or second first or second level D&D, you had to be smart and you had to be tough because you had right. one, one D4 hit points. And one spell. And, yeah, exactly. And that's what I liked about the writing through the Pathfinder comics is it had that mentality. I mean, other than Valoros running in the combat being kind of an idiot, but at least he's a tough idiot. Well, <laughs> right. And, and it, he, the reason why he does, he uh, jumps into the combat at the end of issue one is because he realizes he's got to basically be a distraction and also to sort of charge in so his friends can go get help or so that, you know, because he feels like if they don't do this, more people are going to die, 
when um, the goblins are attacking Sandpoint, this small village. And so it's a heroic action. It's not the smartest strategy, but it, he's coming at it from a good place. It's not just, you know, idiot player going to get the party killed. You know, there is a, a, a story reason for it. I One of the things I, I like about writing the series is it, it makes me think about those encounters or it makes me think about okay in a game you know it's really easy to to think abstractly but i've got to get into sort of the nitty-gritty of it and if you get hit in combat what does that feel like or how are they going to compensate there's a scene in one of the upcoming issues where a character uh you know gets hurt really badly and now the whole combat has to sort of tilt around that how do we get this person out of combat how do we make sure they don't die how do we, you know, get away from this situation? Because as much as, you know, in the game scenario, you might just go, oh, okay, well, they're out of commission. You know, in an actual dramatic circumstance, they don't know that that person's going to recover necessarily. They've got to, they've got to figure it out. You know. Yeah. Uh, um, now, actually, Jim, one of the things I wanted to ask you uh, when you're writing the series, which is the character characters' relationships you enjoy writing the most? One that I really hope gets explored later on is between Ezrin and Sioni, I think it is. Yeah. The two, the two mages, the two, uh, you know, the sorceress and the, and the wizard. And it, it, I really enjoy, I, I like the dynamics between the characters. So, um, you know, obviously we've got a, a relationship that's slowly kind of forming between, uh, or at least, you know, there's interest between, uh, Kira and Mauricial, sort of things are happening there. You've got Valoros, who's interesting. You've got Ezrin. Ezrin's a fascinating character because he's a low-level character, and in his backstory, he's you know he's an older human who sort of came to magic late in life, and so he's trying to prove himself, and he feels this crushing weight of time running out for him to become something more because his, the rest of his life has been relatively easy or you know unfocused and now later in life he's trying to become a, a pathfinder he's trying to become a a you know one of these legendary knowledge gatherers and so he's got a fascinating story that we're going to be exploring in uh, the second and third arc in particular and I, and I I really look forward to delving into that and you know he's got very specific kind of goals and fears that are creeping up on him and I think that that's something that people are going to really enjoy sort of finding out more about, you know, uh, all the characters. Kira's faith is always really fascinating. I find, um, you know, faith in, in fantasy world is such a different thing than faith in the real world, because unlike in, you know, the real world, you've got these people cast spells based on praying to their God or whatever. And it's this absolute physical certainty of, Hey, there's this deity. I know because when I ask them to heal you, your arm got put back on, you know, like stuff, crazy stuff like that. It's, it's fascinating things to sort of play with in this fictional context. Now to, now to expand upon that, you're adding to this, to this canon, to this universe working with, uh, Paizo publishing. What is right. it like to know that the world you're creating will eventually be built in the future products? I mean, just knowing that there's like, there's books coming out from Pathfinder, I think almost every month. Been yeah, they've got a really yeah they've got a really aggressive uh, publishing schedule. I just got back from PaizoCon a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they have their own convention in Seattle, and it was you know really well attended and really uh, the passion that the fans have for the property is is really incredible, and it's it's 
motivating to me because it, it reminds me of how much these people love the stuff that Paizo's putting out. And, you know, I want to do well by them. I want to do well by the fans. I want to create something that I'm proud of. I want something that the, the Paizo staff is going to be really excited about. And so we're all kind of pushing in the same direction, trying to make something awesome. And the, the nice thing is, is that Paizo has been really supportive of me focusing mostly on a character story. So it's not that I don't care about plot. I do. It's just that they obviously know their world better than anyone else. So I sort of say, these are the kind of character moments or these are the things I want to build towards as a broader sort of message or structure to the story. And then I say, and we're going to be in this part of the world. What are the types of threats or what are the things that we can build towards in terms of the world that we can use to springboard off story and plot and conflict like, like creatures? You know, I'll work on making the characters' personalities as engaging as I can. I'll put together the actual, you know, beat by beat and dialogue and all that sort of stuff. And then they help me quite a bit with saying, okay, here are the types of things that we've written about in that part of the world, and then I go, can we connect these bits together, or what other elements can we add to it? And they've been really great in terms of that, you know, bouncing ideas back and forth. They're really open, and they're engaged, and they want to make something cool, and they know that the comic is not a role-playing game, that we're trying to take the best elements of, of the role-playing game, and we're obviously representing the world that they've created but that we're never going to be able to do the kind of intricate information that you get in even one source book where they can just go intimately in depth on a particular place. That's not how people read comics. You're reading about characters, you're reading about action and plots. And so that's how I'm pushing forward, you know, for, for my storytelling and for the comic. Now, as an old school role player and also this storyteller, have you ever considered writing adventure modules for Paizo or have you already? Uh, I haven't. Uh, it's weird. It's like uh, it's something that, that's come up in conversation where they were sort of saying, okay, you know, you have a lot of fun with this and we love what you're doing. It'd be great to have you involved in, in some other parts of our product line. And it's just a matter of, you know, scheduling and figuring it out. I'm a little nervous about it. It's weird. I feel confident in the comic realm of things. And then the gaming realm, I feel I love games and I've always, you know, had a lot of passion for them, but I've never written game material before. So I feel like that would be both a challenge and, and kind of terrifying at the same time. Like, like I'm, I think I would be up for it, but I got to admit that it, it definitely would be, uh, would be a challenge for me because it's a very different type of writing. You're writing based on, you know, broader sort of encounter ideas for what players might do and trying to create a path for them to move down for plot. But you've got to have such open, broader ideas because players will always go in directions that, you know, game masters never plan for. And and as much as you, you know, the nice thing about writing the comic story is I know where it's headed. And one of the exciting things about running a game is you really don't. You don't know where it's headed. You don't know what your players are going to do or how they're going to interpret the material. Yeah, I mean, I really hope you do take the opportunity to actually do it because I'd love to have your creativity in a published module. I think that'd be really kick-ass. So maybe it's Thanks, a uh, I mean, it, it it's exciting to see things like it, it's it's exciting to talk to people who bring a love and a passion from not just one side of it, but are able to apply it to something else entirely. It, I don't know. It, I'm really glad that you're working on the Pathfinder series. And I guess as one of my final questions for you, Jim, what can we expect coming up from the Pathfinder series next? Um, so currently we're in our second story arc, which is called Of Tooth and Claw, and it's a, a really cool story. It's a dragon hunt. So our, our really low-level characters are hunting after um, a, a young dragon, and they end up getting wrapped up in a 
couple other things. And and sort of the fallout from the first story arc where they ticked off followers of Lamashtu is going to come to root. So Lamashtu's followers now know who they are and know that they have basically angered, you know, the goddess. And so they're looking for an opportunity to get some vengeance upon our, our iconic party. So we're kind of layering in these two storylines. You've got this young dragon that has been um, causing trouble around Sandpoint. And then you've got these followers of Lamashtu who are going to look at some opportunities that are now going to open up for them to sort of ambush and, and mess with our heroes. And then the, behind all of that, we've got character relationships forming and we've got sort of people trying to find their way. Sione is now leading the party as of, you know, the second story arc. And she's never done something like this before, but the rest of the group trusts her and she's got to, you know, step up to that and, and find her way as well. So there's all sorts of great character stuff happening. And then there's, you know, big action and uh, a continuing plot that's growing as we move along. The third story arc is going to continue that even more so, and they're going to actually change locations. I don't want to reveal where they're headed just yet, but uh, so we're going to open up more of sort of the world. Now that the readers know more about the characters, we can go different places and we can say, hey, this is the, you know, the world in Russia and that whole countryside and area. Well, I got to say, I'm tremendously looking forward to it. So, Jim, if, if people wanted to buy the book, where would they have to go? Well, you can get it from your local comic shop, obviously, or gaming store. You can uh, buy the comics either individually, which is kind of cool because they come with little mini battle maps that work with your miniatures. Or you can get the collection, which has got some additional material, sourcebook material at the back as well, through uh, paizo.com. So they sell direct, or you can get it through your favorite comic shop or Amazon, pretty much anywhere. And if people want to uh, keep track of what I'm up to or other projects I've got on the go, they can find me through my website just jimzub.com which is j i m z u b.com and on twitter as jimzub as well. Well Jim, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us here on These Warriors Are Terrible. My pleasure. Well guys, that was my interview with Jim Zubkovitz. Be sure you check out this this fantastic comic book series and also get the hardcover for this. It's literally built just like a Pathfinder source book. It's nice hardcover. There's a giant pull-out poster. And like Jim said, each issue of the comic, most of them anyway, come with a pull-out map for your miniatures. So if you want new locations for your games, plus they give you stats in the back of the book. That's the main reason I get it outside of the awesome story. But trust me, guys, well worth it. You can check more information over at jimzub.com, paizo.com, or anywhere awesome stuff is sold. So anyway, guys, for These Warriors Are Terrible, I've been Mike the Birdman Dodd saying, until next time, guys. <laughs>